welcome to episode 11 of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. As usual, here with Josh Erickson and Matt Sheridan. This week, we are happy to welcome Jim Berenger to the show. So, welcome, Jim. How you been doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to be here. I'm doing well. You know, it was a semi-beautiful day out here in New Jersey. You know, cup finals here. Got this hockey season, free agency coming up. Couldn't be happier. All right, so we have a lot to break down today, especially coming out of Edmonton with the Tampa Bay Lightning and Dallas Stars facing off up there. But first, we have some big trade news. Patrick Hornquist is no longer a Pittsburgh Penguin, headed to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Mike Matheson. So, Josh, why don't you get the ball rolling for us on this one? Uh, what do you take? What's your take on the trade? Right. Man, this is two weeks in a row where I've just had absolute layups. Stall trade, Edmondson signing last week, and now I get to dunk on the Penguins again, which I love. I love doing this. So let's look at what Florida is getting here to start. Uh, Florida adds about 500K in uh, AAV and cap hit, but they, you know, they lose the amount of actual money that's being paid out which is of utmost importance to them. Um, when you look at the actual player they're getting, because yes, finances are important, but you still got a hockey team to put on the ice. Uh, so Hornfist in this year had more goals than assists, which isn't really an oddity for him. 17 goals, 15 assists, 32 points, uh, but only played in 52 games, was kind of banged up, and his ice time wasn't even north of 16 minutes. So assuming, you know, you're looking at the Panthers and there's a good chance that you've got both Hoffman and Dadnon that are not going to be back next season that are going to find other homes in free agency, wherever that may be. Um, so Hornfist is going to be slotting into Florida's top six, evidently. Um, do you play him with Barkov? Because in that sense, yes, he's older, he's injury prone and he's slower, but you've got the skill and the speed uh, coming from Huberto and Barkov. And Hornfist has played with Crosby in the past in Pittsburgh, and it's done him well. I think one year he did, he got almost 30 goals. Uh, because Hornfist is a lot like uh, James Van Riemsdyk over in Philly, where most of his goals are right there in front of the net. Uh, he doesn't need to move a whole lot. He's a big guy that's just going to force his way, make it hard for teams to – defend the slot. Um, so obviously Florida's offense isn't going to be as deep next year, but it's an, it's an interesting different look. And I don't hate the acquisition from Florida's perspective, especially when you consider what they're getting rid of. Uh, Mike Matheson is not great. He was better this year than he was last, which is always good. Um, but it wasn't by much. His offense took a dip. Well, shortened season, so I don't know how much you can take that in a stock. But Matheson is not necessarily a terrible player, but it's a terrible contract. He now has the most term left of anybody on the Penguins. The Penguins will be paying him north of $4.8 million a season in terms of cap hit for the next six years. By that time, Crosby and Malkin will both be gone. Tang, all their stars are up by then. Uh, so you've now got a guy who slots in on maybe your second or third pairing. Um, but what I don't get really is the fit because you have Dumoulin and you have Pedersen 
and you have Johnson on the left side. Uh, I obviously would rather throw Matheson in there uh, as compared to Johnson, but we all know Rutherford's weird, strange obsession with Jack Johnson. So he's not getting taken out of the lineup. So then who loses a spot? You've got Latang, Marino, and Yuso Ricola, who they gave Ricola an extension that was worth over a mil. So you know they're planning on playing him. Uh, so the fact that they actually wanted Matheson and acquired him, we'll get to Sevier in a bit. I don't really think that's important. Uh, but the implications of this Math- Matheson acquisition are pretty stellar in that. You know, the Penguins have said, we're not going to blow up our core, but Chris Letang was out there a couple weeks ago saying, I'm done. I've played my last game in Pittsburgh. I can feel it. I can feel I'm going to get traded. Um, That seems to be the reality here, does it not? Because there's absolutely no way that Mike Matheson is going to be your seventh defenseman, or Ricola even. You paid Ricola because you wanted to play him. and you like Pedersen, Pedersen Marino is going to be a great pairing for them. So is John Marino your number one defenseman now? Because that's not necessarily a bad place to be, but I think Latane is gone, guys. Like, this is it for him. He's getting traded. I mean, that wouldn't shock me if we do see Latane move on. I want to look at Matheson for just a second here. I mean, like, you look at at least his Corsi values, he just had a career year in Corsi. He set a career high of negative 0.1. So, obviously not stellar. And for the money you're paying, right. him, it's not particularly good. But at the same time, you know, maybe he's on the rise. I mean, that contract is kind of absurd to be making as much as he is, especially, on the, especially with the kind of term. And he's still got six years left. But – Right. I mean, and, and, you know, he had, uh, let's see, he had 20 points in 59 games this year. I mean, for a defenseman, that's not awful. It's, his contract is, right. I mean, is a little of... bit outrageous for what he does. But at the same time, he can still be a solid addition to the Penguin defense, especially because that's an area where they really do need some help. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, look, if you're, if you're looking at their defense, the reason, like, they haven't had success in the playoffs recently is because of their defense. Like, look after 09, like, they would lose second round because of their defense. Um, it was always a question mark. Everybody said Flurry had issues. I mean, he did have his mental issues with his game. But then the defense in front of him wasn't that good. When they made those deep runs and won the cup in back-to-back years, their defense was really good. And, you know, Chris Letang was playing well, but they had other pieces. They had depth in there. And I agree with you. I think Chris Letang has played his last game in Pittsburgh. I mean, just bringing in Matheson alone is like, okay, so who now who are they shipping out? They have to ship out somebody. So right. it's got it's got to be Latang. You're not going to you're not going to move out Ricola. You just paid you just signed him to a new deal. So he's not coming. He's not leaving. And if Latang is echoing, you know, sentiments that, you know, Rutherford said there's going to be a shakeup to the core, you know, when Rutherford said something, he usually does it. And Look, he's already made a couple of moves. He moves Bukestad out, and now he's moving um, Hornquist out, who won him a Stanley Cup in game six six against the Nashville Predators. He had the game-winning goal. And like you said, he played well with Crosby. I could see him fitting 
fitting in on that top line in Florida. And if they do move Latang, it actually does help quite a bit in terms of cap space. Yes, you brought in Matheson. He's making 4.875 a year. And Latang's making three, uh, excuse me, making 7.25. So that opens up about two and a half, three million dollars worth of cap space. So, you know, you could sign another, you know, second, third line guy for that kind of money. If I had to point something out, I'm just looking at their forward group as well. If you take on a term of 4.8 till 2025-26, which as soon as I heard the news a few days ago, I didn't like it. And then you look at their forward core and you look at Malkin, he's due up in 2022-23. That's, that's going to be a hefty contract that you have to sign. You've got next year, you've got Sheary, who's going to either, they were talking about him getting traded or he's going to. Well, Sheary's, Sheary's out this year. Payday. I thought he's a UFA this yeah. year. Oh, yeah, this year, my bad. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you got Bluger and Ashton Reese uh, next year. The acquisition of Skivier, $1.2 million. I don't think that's that bad, but he's probably going to be playing on the fourth line, so I don't – Yeah, but, th- I mean, that's money. Yeah. But, th- I mean, the point that Brandon brings up of that, that's the space you're freeing up. That permits you to re-sign Sherry, which I don't think was a guarantee um, because he's going to get in the neighborhood of 3-4 mil. Um, as he should and with Matheson it's not the cap hit that's exorbitant it's what you bring up it's the term um and yes I do think he's a bit overpaid maybe high threes would be nice but it's not that bad um he's not inept offensively as you know shown I mean let's do the math here he had 20 and 59 which if I do a quick Google calculation, whatever. I mean, that's 28 points over a full season. You can swing with that from a second pairing guy, but then you do look at the Corsi numbers. He's never cracked 50 in a full season, which you can't necessarily hold against him because of how inept the Panthers have been at times. Uh, but the relative Corsis have never broken even either. Um, and you're starting to look at his possession quality and you're looking at his on ice expected goals for and expected goals against goals against are always higher. Um, so you're looking at a guy who's not expressly a liability, although he was in the qualifying round for Florida. He was not good. Um, but you know, let's not hold anybody's performance in the bubble against him. Right. But why do you go out and get him if you have that log jam on the left side? I just, I don't understand. Exactly. Because Matheson is going to be your third pair. And I don't mind him as a third pairing defenseman. So now who moves over? Do you move Johnson back over to the right side? Is that what you're doing? Are you having a pairing of Mike Matheson and Jack Johnson? Which could not go well. I mean, I'd see... If you want to put Matheson, maybe give him a bit more ice time, but put him with someone much more capable. Like maybe try putting him with John Marino and see how that goes, right? I mean, you are going to have a situation. Mike Sullivan is going to have a situation here where you have John Marino and you have everybody else. That's it. I don't – You're going to – I really don't like this acquisition, like you said. Neither do I. And you said there's been mentioned that the tanks probably played his last game in Pittsburgh. Schultz is on his way out as well. It's pretty much writing on the wall that he's done in Pittsburgh as well. You're talking about putting Jack Johnson with someone who's Jack Johnson's a complete liability on defense. 
with his term is 3.25. You said you could play him with Marino, which makes the most sense, but I wouldn't want to be giving that many minutes to a guy like Johnson. Pedersen, oh, no, for sure. Pedersen's a guy that could be on his way out. I heard a rumor today that he some teams were interested in. They were fielding calls on him. So it's just well, the I'd defense be on the back end too. is not too good. I, I mean, I you're trading You're trading one. If you trade Pedersen, you can stomach keeping Latang, which you should. You need that Dumoulin-Latang pairing. Um, but if you don't, and say you do trade Latang, but you hold on to Pedersen, then you've got Marino, who's a budding star, and then you have a group of Matheson, Ricola, Pedersen, Dumoulin, and Johnson. What do you do with that, Mike? Like, it's just, there's going to be a constant blender. I'd, I'd be shocked to see a, a pairing be together for more than 40 games next season, right? Like, you're just going to be consistently having to find different fits when one guy starts to crap the bed. So I don't get it at all. And why Sevier? Let's, let's pivot to that here. Why Sevier? Because the trade was just going to be Hornfist for Matheson, and at least then you were saving more money. Why Sevier? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know why you add even more money to a, to a team that needs cap space. To, they right. have to open up cap space. And they have enough depths at forward. They don't need another fourth-line player. They have enough down there. They have guys in their system that they can bring up. And yeah, it they doesn't have, make any yeah. sense. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand the deal one. And I don't understand all these rumors I'm hearing that now that with Tanev uh, from Vancouver, the defenseman, Pittsburgh wants to go yeah. after him too. It's like, wait a minute. Like, why? Uh, Josh and I were talking about this a little, little while ago that I saw a list the other day. And I don't remember exactly who was on this list. I don't remember all the names. I remember there was a lot of big names, though. And on one side – you have all of the guys that Jim Rutherford has traded out of Pittsburgh. And on the other side, you have all of the moves he's made to all the assets he's given up in order just to replace those guys. And the list of replacement things, of the replacement guys, is at least twice as long and with some way bigger names on it. It's ridiculous what Jim Rutherford has done as far as trades. He is the amount of talent they've had in Pittsburgh, they could have won so many cups with what they've had. I mean, granted, it might have been tough to keep some of those guys because of cap, but still, the amount of talent that they have just given away and had to find replacements for it, it it's astounding. And, and they're going to do it again with Latang. And you, yep. bring in the, you bring up the Kapanen trade as well. You don't, you don't acquire a guy like Kapanen and give up a first and a solid prospect in this – like. You have a chance to restock with the 2020 draft being so deep. You can go out there and you can get a forward, which they need. They need a guy they that can come process. in in a few years and can have a great, like he can pull up 60 plus points. And the top of the draft had that. And you go out and you give Toronto a first round pick for Kapanen. That That's another trade. I think Rutherford's just, he's on the downfall and he doesn't know what he's doing anymore. A guy like Kapanen, who's going to frustrate either Crosby or Malkin so easily because he's got the skill, but he doesn't have the IQ. And those are not guys that work with Crosby and Malkin. Uh, so that experiment's going to last all of 10 games. And then you've given up 
a really good prospect, I, you know, a Jarvis or a Dawson Mercer, or somebody who you could get at 15. And Philip Hollander, who would have been cost-effective depth for you in a couple of years. So yeah, don't get it. Bonehead moves. Sevier makes it even worse because it takes away really the only redeeming quality of the trade that you were saving a lot of cap, but now Pittsburgh barely saves if any, because wait, isn't Matheson 4.8 and Sevier is 1.2? It's that six mil. And Pittsburgh gains cap. Hold on. Yeah, yeah Pittsburgh, gains, Pittsburgh gains cap. What the hell? Yeah, I don't get it. Like, it's such a bad deal. Even though, even though you know, Pierre Maguire likes it because he said so on TSN. But I don't care what anybody yeah, says. That's a bad – that was a bad deal for them. If it was one for one, I could, I could buy it. It's okay. It's not good, but it's not this bad. Right? No, but but with but adding Sevier one point two million, it's like, all right, what are these guys doing? I mean, I, I don't know Pittsburgh. I I feel like I feel like you got for Pittsburgh. They either got to win it now, or they got to just go total rebuild and like start restocking. One point two million for a guy that got you sixteen points last year. No good. And here's the thing, too. Here's the thing I'm looking at, too, is over the last couple of seasons, they have put so many assets into just re, like, basically, you, your, your, foundation is cr- your, your foundation is crumbling right now, and you are just trade deadline, bring guys and bring guys and bring guys and bring guys in just to keep yourself and afloat. Is, and so I mean, you look at what they've my- got. Who are they, they going to get rid of right now? Because you've got Crosby and Malkin. I do not see either of those guys moving on because they are the faces of your franchise. You have Jake Gensel who, 25 years old, is a cornerstone player for your franchise and could be the face when Crosby and Malkin are gone. You have Jason Zucker. You just signed him. or uh, You just traded for him, and then now he's on uh, $5.5 million a year for three more years. Tanev, I could say Tanev is a guy you might consider moving on from. Brian Rust, okay. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen, you just traded for him. So looking at their for- how their forwards are right now, the guys you're getting, you're going to get something, but you're not going to get anything so special for them that it's going to be able to rebuild your franchise with it unless you're really smart with your job. Right. And I mean, pardon you- my language, but this is exactly the shit Ken Holland pulled in Detroit. It's the same thing over again. Because when you look at what Detroit did, when they were keep the streak alive, let's keep contending. Yeah, they were okay and good, and they still have the aging stars and Dotsuk and Stetterberg. But they were tying up their future in exchange for immovable assets, like at the uh, Jonathan Erickson contract, the Kaiser contract, Abdelkader contract. I mean, they were doing the same thing. And if you're Mario Lemieux sitting up there in the front office for Pittsburgh, I don't understand how you're letting this go on. I don't understand how you see this news break yesterday that this is the trade, even just Hornquist or Matson, that you see this is the trade. And it won't go through because Florida can't deal with the insurance right now. If I'm Lemieux, I'm taking that 24 hours to fire his ass. You let him stay on and make this trade. You Somebody had the chance to talk him out of this. You had 24 hours, you had more than 24 hours from the time Kevin Weeks broke this on Wednesday to the time it went through. At the time of us recording this, the, the news originally broke yesterday afternoon, and it became official probably about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago. 
Yeah, we're recording this Thursday night, afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. Somebody had the chance to give him a call and say, Jimmy, this is not good. Rutherford seems like a perfectly nice, approachable man. So to me, yeah, it's not a good trade by Rutherford. But when you look at the pattern he's developing here, there's something that stinks in the whole front office because no one stepped in and said, hey, let's not do this. Well, this was the problem. And as you guys can see on Zoom and those audience in, in, on the podcast who cannot see it, I'm sitting in front of the championship banners and retired numbers of New Jersey Devils. When Lou Lamorello was at his end in New Jersey, he was pulling the same stuff, trying to just keep the team a contender, making bad trades, bringing in aging players so they could just get into the playoffs or just be there or just miss it instead of, okay, looking at a fact that this team needs to rebuild. Pittsburgh is in that position of, okay, we can be good and go for it, or we should rebuild. And I understand you have Crosby and Malkin, and they're not going to want to go through it. You, you have one or two more years left, but you cannot sell the farm just to bring in guys that are going to be depth players on your team when you're not getting anything in return. And, yes, Lou went to Toronto, and I'm going to be honest, he was just a figurehead. I will stand by that till the day I die and move on or whatever. In New York, he's made he's kind of refound his touch a little bit with that Pajot trade, but I still don't see him giving like a guy like Barzell a long term deal because that's not him his his ML. Oh, but Rutherford, right. Rutherford, I don't know what he's doing. Like I understand he wants to build this team in his vision, but he's making this team worse, not better. And he never doesn't understand why they've lost in the qualifying round this year to Montreal. And last year got swept out of the playoffs by the New York Islanders. And here's the thing, too, is that you, a, a smart general manager would have looked at this team going into last offseason and said, all right, we're going to keep what we've got on our hands right now. But after this year, we're blowing up the team. And it is very clearly not on Jim Rutherford's agenda to start looking at rebuilding because this Matheson trade – it signals the exact opposite that he's looking to, you know, keep rebuilding the foundation and keep this team afloat. And it's, it's not going to work for very much longer. Look at what he could have had. You have guys like, like I mentioned, Hollander to Toronto, Kalen Addison to Minnesota for Zucker. You've got Samuel Poulin, who's going to be a good, like he can develop into a really solid power forward. You got those three guys. And then you got another really solid pick with the 15th overall selection. And you've got the, the makings of a solid prospect system that you can build on. And this guy is going out there and shipping them out to bring in guys with big, large contracts with term. And I do not understand it. The only trade that Rutherford has made in in the last couple of seasons that has actually looked like it it helps them in the future is bringing in John Marino, who's only 23 and is still on an entry level deal. Yeah. And that was for like a conditional seventh round pick or sixth round pick because no one knew it. Exactly. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that was not Rutherford's trade. That was one of his scouts going, I like this guy, and Edmonton doesn't value him. I agree. 100%. That was all that was. Rutherford yeah. did not make that. I mean, he made the trade, but he was like, sure, a sixth, whatever. I don't care. And it was a right. conditional sixth. Right. 
Um, uh, and, and, but it's crazy because it's crazy because you look at the guy who was there before him, Ray Shiro, right? And why were the Penguins so successful, like especially when they had injuries? Like a guy like Jake Getzel comes in and developed. I mean, they drafted and developed so well, and they kept their guys around. They had a great farm system in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and now it's getting blown apart because Rutherford wants to just try to keep winning now with aging stars and bringing in bad contracts. For sure. And, I mean, you've, you've really harmed the future of this team because you're forcing them into a rebuild the worst time where I think it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point that Krausby and Malkin are going to be finishing their careers elsewhere. Ah, that's a little bold. I'm not sure if I'd go that far. I mean, I could see them wanting out, but Crosby still has another five years left. Well, okay. Malkin maybe. Maybe is that much. Malkin maybe, but not Crosby. I think Malkin maybe. But you're right. Crosby may just be done at the end of that. He's making these deals to keep them in contention to keep Crosby and Malkin. That's the reason why he's doing this. True. So if he's yes, which would to work keep... if he's actually keeping them in contention. Yeah, instead exactly. Of keeping but, them in yeah. Minnesota Wild levels of mediocrity. Like, I just, terrible like if trades. They, if they could have brought in Taylor Hall, he was a big name on the market, right? If they could have, imagine if they could have brought in Taylor Hall. I mean, Arizona gave up what was it? What was it? A first round pick for him? Right? Yeah, it was a first round pick. Uh, Nick Merkley. Nick Merkley. Uh, and then. Yeah, a boatload of mediocre oh, guys. Uh, Kevin, st- Kevin Ball. It was Kevin Ball, Nick Merkley, uh, a, like a third and Blake a first. Blake Spears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blake so, Spears went the other way. That was that was the trade. Like it was ridiculously in favor of New Jersey to get what they got for Taylor Hall, and I think it was the only deal they probably could get at the time because Hall just wanted out. But imagine if that guy went to Pittsburgh because they were rumored to get him, but I don't know what they were going to give up to get him. That was yeah. You wouldn't have been able to keep him, but for New Jersey retaining half, and instead of and instead of going and getting Jason Zucker, or was he already there? Who's good, but why? Good again, but why? You don't. You're tying it up. That first round pick and that they traded guys, for Pittsburgh Kapanen. Yeah, that, Matt that brought up. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. You're like, losing so. out on a future star. Addison's a guy that, from what I've watched, and I've been a fan of him for a long time, you just watch Canada at the World Juniors. He was such a good puck-moving defenseman. He got shots on net. He could control the power play. He's a right-handed shot who could slot right into your lineup in a few years. He's a guy that I was excited, genuinely excited for Pittsburgh to keep because their prospect system was so bad. They had right. three decent guys. And then you go out and trade him for Zucker, which what you will have to give it up because Zucker is a valuable commodity on the open market. But you, I don't understand it. I really don't. He's just right. he's shipping you, away you, the future. You had your Latang replacement right there. Uh, and as good as Marino is, I don't think he'll ever be that. And who else do you have? P.O. Joseph that you got in the Kessel deal? He's not that good. Who I, I, I think is generally overvalued. Um, I mean, he's going to be an NHL player, but he's a second pairing guy. I mean, you've harmed your, you've harmed Pittsburgh for the next decade effectively because you're putting these guys in a position where they're going to suck for like six years. You can't do the mini rebuild like Boston did. 
What Boston did, and I'll give them full credit, what the Bruins were able to do in the mid-2010s is a master class on how to move on after you win some championships. You let it die down for a couple of years. You keep your core intact, but you sell off the depth. So you struggle for a couple of years. Maybe you do trade a bigger guy like Boston shipping out Lucic and Horton and those guys. So you lose some people along the way, but you keep the core, you keep your goalie, you keep your defenseman, and you keep Marchand and Bergeron. And look at what they've been able to do since. Boston's still a legitimate cup contender. Eight, nine years later, after they won the cup, they've been in the final three times in a decade, which is not an easy feat. It's doable. You don't have to blow your team up. And here's the thing, There's too. There's a right way to do this. And it's not continuing to invest with guys in term. You do that once when you're coming out of your rebuild. Then you win or contend. And then as soon as you start to get stale or drop off, you make some decently sized changes, but you do it through the lens of a rebuilding team. But you don't sell your big off your your big assets off. You sell the Hortons, you sell the Lucic, you sell your middle six guys, you sell your second pairing defenseman, which allows you to recoup some assets. And look at what Boston ended up with. They ended up with three picks in a row in the first round. Imagine what they could have been if they did all those right. But there's a way to do this, and Rutherford's not doing it. Who, who who was their GM, Brandon? Was that Sweeney who did all that? Yeah, that was – I believe – I'm pretty sure that was right after they had fired Shirelli and they yeah, brought in Sweeney. I think Shirelli had started the rebuild, like, as far as selling off some guys and acquiring the picks, and then Sweeney came in and finished the job, basically. Wasn't Sweeney's first year that 2015 draft where they had those three picks? I believe so. And he so. wasn't sure what to do with, like, those three picks because everybody's like, oh, everybody, he, they're using all three picks. Because I, I don't think anybody there was a ta- there was no takers for one of those picks or something. So they just made right. they just they just like picked a guy. And here's what I want to talk about a little bit with, with Boston when they went into that brief rebuild. Here's what made that so special was, oh, and uh, Sweeney was an assistant GM with Boston under Shirelli. so he had been in the building right. for a while. But when they did that short rebuild, they did it in a way where the team was still able to at least look contendable because both years they were the first team that didn't make the playoffs. They even set a record. Yeah, I was going to say, they were never worse than like 10th. No, they set a record for most points in the standings for a team that did not make the playoffs one of those years. And right. at the same time, they were able to recoup some like recoup some assets. They traded Dougie Hamilton, for example, to Calgary. That was one of those 2015 picks. And you know what they got with some of those picks? They brought in three youngsters that are running the team right now in David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy, and Jake DeBrusque. In those three, exactly. in those three years, in 2014, 2015, and 2016, they brought in the face of the franchise. That comes from knowing when it's time to blow up the team. And Jim Rutherford clearly does not have that same common sense because – the right time to blow up that team was a year or two ago. And you decided to keep rebuilding. If you had blown up the team just a little bit a couple of years ago, you could have been doing what Boston is doing now and continuing to contend for another five to six years. But for instead, sure. you're going to fall apart hard in one or two. 
Looking at Edmonton, we've got the Dallas Stars and Tampa Bay Lightning facing off. And last night, we got a wild ride. Steven Stamkos making his first appearance in the playoffs, scoring a goal in the first period, the second goal for Tampa Bay last night in a resounding 5-2 to win in which Dallas was just pummeled. Stamkos did not return in the second period. Uh, so, Matt, I want to start with you on this one. Uh, what's your take on Stamkos returning to the lineup and how is, how is Tampa Bay going to look over the next few games? Yeah, I mean – we were talking about it last night when we, when we were on the Zoom call, and I was just like, how wonderful is it to see Stamkos back in the lineup after six and a half months of being injured, scoring on his first shot, and just seeing the emotion of the Tampa Bay Lightning bench. You can tell he's their captain. They love having him in the lineup, and he's a pleasure to play with. Yeah, he always seems to get injured, but when he's in the lineup, it's impressive to see what the Lightning have done without him, and if he had been able to stay healthy and like continue that on, I don't know if he's ever if he's going to come back to play another game but if they get him he's just he adds another dynamic to that team that makes him even more special and you look at yeah. point and Kucherov and all those guys and Hedman who's tied with the league with the lead in playoff goals it's just this team is rolling and i was reading something on twitter last night about they finally seem to solve Kudobin or something i'm not sure how accurate that is but with the, the way that everyone's moving the puck you got the contributions from Goudreau no, Goodrow, my bad. And um, Sorelli, who's finally starting to step up his game, and those guys, Coleman, this team is scary good. And I don't know, I'm, I'm really excited as a Tampa Bay Lightning fan to hopefully see them maybe finally redeem themselves after a few years of disappointing playoff exits. Yeah, I mean, talk about Stan Coast. Pull up this tweet from Steve Dangle last night. Just the ballad of Stevens. So 2010, he scores 51 goals and gets left off the Olympic team. He would have won a gold medal with Canada, didn't he? Uh, 2011, makes it to game seven of the Eastern Conference Final against the Bruins. Loses and gets his face caved in for good measure. 2014, would have been a lot for the Olympics. Breaks his leg clean. 2015, Stanley Cup final appearance. The Lightning, top goal scorer and goalie both get hurt. They lose in six to the Blackhawks. 2018, can't go to the Olympics because the NHL can't go to the Olympics. 2019, one of the best seasons in history, gets craned by Blue Jackets in the first round. 2020, out six and a half months, way longer than anybody had projected him to be out. And he comes back and he scores, but he does not look right. Uh, so this is a guy who's going to win his first cup. Look, I mean, it, if Stamkos does not have the injuries that we have or that he had, even if Tampa Bay never wins a cup, this guy's a Hall of Famer, like right now, if he hung it up. This guy's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think since he came into the league, and this is with a healthy Ovechkin and a Stamkos that has had his legs beat to all hell. Only Ovi has more goals than Steven Stamkos, since Stamkos has been in the league. Uh, and that's an incredible stat to me. Uh, but to, you know, take a second here and actually look at what the Lightning were able to do last night for us when we were recording this. So that's game three. It was utter domination. It wasn't Kadobin's fault, but he wasn't great. Kadobin hasn't been great this series. Uh, not necessarily his fault. 
He's just playing against a team with real shooters. And I'll maintain this. Kadovin's a good goalie. His percentages were bumped in that Vegas series. They weren't shooting in great locations. And Kadovin's positioning was great. And Kadovin's a great goalie. I love the guy, but he's not a 950. That's not him. He's a 920s. Uh, and when you look at what he's done outside of that Vegas series, he's actually been worse than he was in the regular season. Um, so I get, yeah, you rally around the 34-year-old Kazakhstani who's coming in and taking his team to the cup final because Ben Bishop, who has name value, is hurt. So I get the hype around him. Uh, but Dallas's most valuable players have been Heisken and Pavelski, and it's that simple. Kadobin hasn't been a liability, but he hasn't. He's not the reason they're there. Same thing with Tampa. Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky's been better than Hudobin in the playoffs yes. for Tampa Bay. 100% yes. been better. He's been the, not just playing behind a better team. He's been the better goal. Uh, game two was on him. Or, sorry, game one. Game one was on Bassey, I'd say. But other than that, I mean – He's been a great goalie. Who he who he is, and I get, I get the argument for why people say he's just you know a good or okay goalie playing on a great team. I don't think he's a top three goalie in the league, but he's a great goalie. He's by no means average or mediocre. Um, so I think Vasilevsky gets a lot of unfair crap thrown at him and. He's taken his team to two wins from the Stanley Cup all the way. McElhaney hasn't seen a minute of ice time. Uh, and he won't see a minute of ice time in this back-to-back on Friday, Saturday. Vasilevsky's getting both of those no, games. No, he so, won't. So Vasilevsky's sure. getting both of those games. Um, the Lightning have looked like the better team in the last two games. They came out slow in game one, obviously. I mean, they played one and more game. And they were than- tired. And they played yeah. one more game than they should have against the Islanders. Give credit to the Islanders for extending it to six games. But don't forget, the Lightning played three hard series against teams that, can, that have good defense and pound the body. I mean, they had to beat Columbus. So they already knew what that was going to be like, plus that five-overtime marathon. Boston's no slouch. They're the President's Trophy winners that didn't finish first in the Eastern Conference because of the stupid round robin. And then the New York Islanders, who are a great defensive team team under Barry Trotz. So, I mean, that's – I mean, those are three tough teams to go into. Uh, you know, you're starting the series right away, and you're, you just played another overtime game. So, of course, they're going to be tired, and Dallas took advantage of it. But the, the Lightning have been the better team in the last two games. And the addition of Stan Coast, whether he's on your fourth line or not, I mean, is a great – he was still on the bench for most of the game anyway yesterday just encouraging those guys to just keep going. And, you know, the fact that he scored makes it even better. But, I mean, guy, people aren't talking about – I mean, they are talking about this guy, but it seems like Vasilevsky and Hedman are in front of him. But let's talk about what Nikita Kucherov has been doing and, for the Lightning. Oh, incredible. And Kucherov, I mean, has, Kucherov has quietly been the leading point getter in the playoffs for Tampa Bay. Like, and, he's done, like, and all the headlines talk about Braden Point's emergence and how he's – been great in relief of Stamkos. Like, Nikita Kucherov is leading the team in points right now. Well, because you've, about him. you've learned to expect that from him. Oh, absolutely. And I think what's most, what's most remarkable about, about what Kucherov has done 
is to me, he has radically transformed his game without losing his offensive capability. He's out there throwing his friggin' weight around, which is great to see from that guy. He's a great person, a great player. Austin Matthews should be watching him. Mm -hmm. uh, What he's able to do, right? If I could add, when you were talking about Vasilevsky, he's quietly had one of the best playoff runs like that I've seen in the past few years, 1.89 goals against average and a 28 save percentage in 22 games. And like Jim mentioned, he hasn't played easy competition. It's been rough, like great teams the, the entire time. And for him to put up a goals against average below two is incredible. And like you said, he, Kucherov's transformed his game. He's gone from a guy who's scored a crap ton of goals to having seven goals and 23 assists in 22 games played. And now that he's added that dynamic to his game, that he, he has a great shot and he also is able to dish the puck to his teammates, he's going to be a force to be. I think he takes, I didn't even think it was possible, but he takes another step next year and he's going to be in the, in the nomination I, or I'd argue, maybe even winning the heart next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that Point has replaced Stamkos. I'd say that Kucherov has replaced Stamkos and Point has replaced Kucherov because you Look at the roles that those guys are playing. Points, the sneaky, dangly, speedy goal scorer on that line. Kucherov is... Kucherov's the guy who's honestly driving that line. Uh, And as good as Point is, uh, is, none of this is meant to slander Point. Point's the goal scorer. Kucherov's the play driver. And you've got Andre Pulat. Andre Pulat, who's quietly been a great shooter and you go back to that triplets line of Palat, Johnson, and Kucherov in 2015 that everybody said, oh, this is it. This is the line. Palat and uh, Point and Kucherov, something like a 97% expected goals for in this series. It's insane what they're doing. It's Um, crazy. It's the best line in hockey. I agree with that. I, I, Right. It's I mean, better than what like, McKinnon was able to do. I mean, look, the McKinnon line's a great regular season line. Same with – I mean, the Pasternak line in Boston, and I'll just make this quick because I know we have other things to say. But I know the Pasternak and McKinnon line are great in the regular season, and Boston can carry with, run with that line in the playoffs. But the problem is when that line doesn't get production in the playoffs, they don't have anybody else to step up. With Tampa, it seems like if those guys aren't scoring, they still have other guys that can score. Right. Because it's ridiculous. If, right? When when Sorelli and Johnson weren't going too hot, Coleman, Gordon, Gaudreau yeah. stepped up. Maroon and Paquette have been world beaters physically, which is what you needed. And even, you know, circle back my last thing on Stamkos. Even if he's just there on the bench, you've only been dressing 11 forwards anyways. Keep him out just to throw him out from power play. He shouldn't, see, he shouldn't be seeing consistent even strength minutes. He can't move. Uh, but what he's still got, evidently, is his shot. That, sh- that shot, just put him in Ovi's house or Stammer's house or wherever in that circle to start ripping one time. Exactly. Because their power play has been absolutely anemic, which, how? Right, you have Point and Kucherov and Hedman and Sergachev and McDonough, and I can go on. How is your power play that bad? 
but they made still that. dominating at even strength. So you get Stamkos back out there, get your chemistry, get your confidence going, and it was really obvious to me what it did for that team having their captain out there on the bench because this is a guy who's been through hell and back to try and win a championship, a guy who some would label a choker. Some, I think the label on him is he gets injured at the wrong time. At the wrong time. But, and, he, and, and he doesn't see like those, like, like you said, the Olympics. He's not there for the Olympics. He's not there for like, you know, those big moments. He's not around for that. Like he gets injured at that wrong time where he can't, you know, see it through. And, but now he's there and he's around the team and he, he came in, he scored the goal. And like you said, if he, even if he doesn't see ice time the rest of the series, you have that moment in game three. And if he plays this weekend, great. He'll probably play one of the games maybe. But like you said, just keep him, just put him on a power play and just roll with 11 forwards even strength. It's easier that way. Totally. They've done it. And look, what happened last time Tampa was without Stanley long-term? They folded and they missed the friggin' playoffs. By like two points. To the Maple Leafs. It, it, it's the culture shift. You can't give – Everybody is pulling their weight. Every single person. Luke Shen is pulling his weight. Are you kidding me? Jack Bogosian. Brain Coburn. Saw that meme of if you told someone back in 2008 that the Lightning were in the cup final and they had Brain Coburn, Zach Bogosian, and Luke Shen on their team, they, they wouldn't be surprised, but it would be for very different reasons. Um, but, man, give credit to John Cooper as a coach. Give credit to every single person who is playing hockey for that club. And give credit to Julian Brisebois for bringing in those guys like Goudreau and Coleman, Coleman, Coleman especially, because he knows they got to win it this year because he's got a lot of pieces to move out at the end of this offseason. Yep. Yeah, I want to sure. give props to – I was just about to say Brisebois because a lot of people, when they acquired Goudreau from the Sharks, they were like a first – like, that's a bit hefty. Yeah, Which they're over His contribution in the play, playoffs now, it's justifiable. I would argue that you give that first. I would give that first knowing if I knew what contribution you'd make in the playoffs, I'd give that first 10 times out of 10. Just yes, because for of sure. the ability for him. And you mentioned Coleman. You're a fan of the Devils. You know how much of a contribution that he can have. You probably love the guy. And oh. he's, he's a great player. I mean, they had to make the move. He, he had the most value for them at the trade deadline besides Palmieri. But what they got from Tampa was Vancouver's first and Nolan Foote. I mean, you know, Nolan Foote, we, we don't know what he's going to be. Hopefully he'll be a good prospect and everybody wins in this deal. But what Coleman's doing, and he's cheap for the Lightning right now too. So you got another year left on his deal. So, I mean, he's just been playing great. That third line has been unbelievable. And the Lightning have just – been rolling with those guys and it's good to see and I'm I'm glad for him because you know Coleman's one of those guys that works hard and you know doesn't get the credit he probably should have more goals than he does in the playoffs just the opportunities that he's missed he seems to be around the net a lot but just hasn't been able to put him in but he's just working hard and he's th- that type of player you win with those trays in a vacuum are still both overpayments but they're overpayments that you have to make if you're Tampa because you knew it Matt Hit the nail on the head. This is your last year. 
And then you go into the retooling phase that Boston went into. Um, and hopefully Breezebaugh is smart enough to follow that same, you know, get get picks for these guys, get picks for Kaloran and Johnson and whoever else you decide to sell off. They'll be okay. All right, so uh, last uh, thoughts on Tampa Bay and Dallas. What I'd like to do real quick, just so we got max four games left, so let's go ahead. I want to run around, run around the table here, give our predictions for what's going to happen over the last four games. So, Josh, let's start with you. Tampa and five. I don't see it. I know Dallas has been super resilient, but, man, that was utter domination, and I just think Vasilevsky's too good right now. Kadobin is human. Heiskanen hasn't been to the level he needs to be at. Pavelski could be better. So unless those guys get rolling, this is Dallas is done winning games. All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna say Tampa, but I'm gonna say they're gonna take. They're gonna, Dallas is gonna stretch it to game six. They're gonna get one more win out of this. But I will say that Dallas is probably the easiest competition Tampa has played thus far in the playoffs. And it's kind of crazy when you think about the fact they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. But Dallas is probably the worst of the teams they've played because they've had some pretty incredible competition in the East. Oh no way. Islanders are worse. Maybe way, even Columbus. Not they're they're not a the best competition in my eyes for Tampa Bay. So Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Josh. I'm I'm going uh lightning in five. I don't see Vasilevsky making another like making a mistake. Even though the games are back to back, they're gonna go in there. They can taste the Stanley Cup. It's within reach. And you got guys that have that have wanted it for so long that have been with this team through the heartbreak and everything. And they're going to go out there and they're going to seize the moment. I have the lightning in uh, five games. Uh, I got lightning in five. I just think they're starting to roll. Uh, that was domination last night. They figured it out. Dallas, unless Dallas is top line, and it's a big thing I wrote about during the, the playoffs in the West, if that top line doesn't score, they have no one else scoring and it doesn't feed to guys like Kiviranta and Giryanov. You know, those guys have been non-existent too. Rupe Hintz, where's he been? Um, Hudobin, they've figured him out. And Heiskanen's just getting bottled up. And Tampa Bay knows what it takes to win. They went through the heartbreak last year, and they figured it out. And they're just figuring it out how to win. I mean, the, mo- the most they've won- gone is six games. So usually they wrap it up in five. If they win tomorrow night, the series is over Saturday. Dallas is just a team where it's old guys are too old and it's young guys are a bit too young. Klingberg's really the only one who's just right. Um, so Dallas is in a weird, weird spot, and it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. But I do think they have, you know, places to go with a kid like Heiskanen. So they're not, they're not going home defeated after this. They've got a future. So uh, looking ahead at this year's draft, pretty deep class coming up. Matt loves them. Thinks there's some pretty talented players that are going to be coming out this year. And uh, this is their chance to – Proved to all the NHL scouts that they were right for drafting them. So I want to look at the New Jersey Devils for a second here. They have three picks in the first round, 7th, 18th, and 20th overall. So, Jim, the Devils are – they're your baby over there in Jersey. So what, what do you think they're yeah. going to do with those picks? So I, everybody's been asking me this question about are they going to use all three picks like Boston? Are they going to trade one of the picks? What are they going to do? I definitely see them using at least two of those picks to make players. I mean, they could use all three. I just don't see it. I think they need help scoring. I could see them moving one of their picks, probably the 20th pick, to get like a top six winger, a scorer, somebody that they can bring into their system because that's what they desperately need. Um, 
But, you know, three picks in the first round in a deep draft is really good. But it's also with the picks they have after as well. They have picks in the second round and in the third round of this draft, which is where you build your team and where you can, you know, find your future players um, that can come in and do things down the road. But I do like the position they're in. Tom Fitzgerald gets the interim tag off. He's working really well. He worked some magic this year at the trade deadline. I like the fact that they kept him on and gave him at least, you know, a couple of years to put this team back in contention and to have three first round picks is really, really special. Um, you know, seventh pick, you know, we'll see what they do there. It all depends on what the teams do in front of them. Obviously we know Lafreniere is going first, but after that it's kind of a mishmash of people of what they want to do. And a lot of people think maybe Drysdale, the defenseman, Jimmy Drysdale, uh, Lucas Raymond, Marco Rossi, or Holtz uh, could be there at seven for the Devils. I wouldn't mind any of those picks. I think they're all good. So we'll see what they do at seven. I'd like to see them take Holtz at seven. Um, I don't think Drysdale makes it that far. And you said it, they need wingers uh, in the short term and long term. Uh, Rossi would be good, but again, you have Hughes, you have your centers in the future, you have, you know, that's why it doesn't really behoove you to take either Rossi or Lundell there, I don't think. Um, so I like to see them go with Holtz. That's a really good fit. M moving down to the, those 18 and 20 picks are much more intriguing because you could have a series of teams in the mid 10s that draft positionally and allow a best player available to fall to you. Uh, and I'll get to who that best player is in a second, but you look at the teams ahead. You have Winnipeg, who's going to take a defenseman. You have Nashville, who's going to take a defenseman. You have Florida, who's boneheaded if you don't take Jack Quinn. Uh, and if he doesn't go to Minnesota or Buffalo, Carolina's going to snag Askarov at 13. Edmonton needs a center. Toronto wants a defenseman. So the guy out of all of this who should have been taken there but hasn't is Seth Jarvis. Uh, and I will go to bat for him any day of the week. He's not a guy that's a product of his team. He dragged the Winterhawks this year, man. That was a team that, missed, that was going to miss Cody Glass sorely, and they did. And Jarvis stepped up for them in a big, big way. And the Winterhawks are one of the best teams in the league again because of him. Uh, they were getting really good goaltending from Joel Hofer as well, Blues prospect. But still, Jarvis is a guy who can not only score but drive play. Montreal might go for the French guy with Lapierre. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see Montreal take Hendricks there. Uh, at, at, at 16? I know it's high. But that's I a stretch say, and a half. That is a stretch and a half, but it's Montreal, and I can see Bergevin being dumb. Oh, I, I could that. see it. I could see it. I definitely could see it. I could see them doing that for sure, 100%. They draft the French-Canadian guys. They just do. Uh, so that leaves it down between Jarvis could go to Chicago. But Chicago could very easily take, and this could be an obsolete conversation. But if Jarvis is there, if you're New Jersey, you take him. I don't care if you already got Holtz. you got to take the best player available there. Uh, if not, I would like to see Dylan Holloway. Maybe that'd be a good pick. Uh, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see another forward there at 18, and then you shoot for the defenseman at 20. The guy who I think is most realistic there is Justin Barron out of Halifax. Uh, long story short, it's going to be smart. 
for the Devils to keep all three of their picks. They'll have the room in free agency to maneuver um, and via trade where they could trade maybe for a JBR or, um, you know, go after a uh, Mikhail Granlin type guy in free agency. Like you're going to have an option this year to get one guy and make your team a bit better. I think the guy I think the guy they go after in free agency if they keep all three picks is Dadnoff from Florida. I think he makes the most sense for I them. I can see that too for sure. A consistent twenty goal scorer just to have there as well. Um I do like the picks of Jarvis and Barron. I really do. Um I know there's been a lot of talk if you look at the Devils Twitter ba- banner or the Facebook pages and because everybody's going off right now because Askarov is like playing out of his mind in a KHL. They're like, Oh, you should draft the goaltender you know, have the, you know, have the future set in that position with Blackwood and Askarov. I'm like, well, first of all, if you draft the goalie, you're going to have to wait three or four years for, before he even comes over and plays. So right. there's Especially no point of wasting Russia. a pay, pick. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're not, you just don't throw away a pick. And to take a goalie in the top 10 in this deep a draft is wasting a pick, in my opinion. I think they need to pick somebody that they can insert either right away or within the next year, so they make their team better. I totally agree. And you have your goalie of the future. Blackwood's got room to yeah. go from here. He's not at his peak. Blackwood's no. going to be a legit starter for you, and you can get backups. Askarov isn't a backup. Are you kidding me? No. So you, you don't need him. You don't need the goalie. Carolina's really the only team, or maybe Nashville, who strikes it as a logical fit for me. So at seven for me, uh, I've heard the devils have been interviewing Jake Sanderson a lot. Yeah. That is a massive stretch for seven. In my opinion. I agree. But with seven, you got, you just take, it's easy. You take best player available. You got riches and riches, Rossi holds Raymond's not going to be there, but Lundell, those guys are going to go in there and one of them is going to become instantly one of the, if not the best devils prospect and game changer. And then you look at 18, the only team that I am equally excited about for their draft is the Ottawa senators because they have three and five, but at 18, like you said, if Jarvis is still there, hop all over him, Rodian Amarov still there, hop all over him, Holloway, same thing. Then you go to 20, you get a defenseman. You got, Baron, I like that selection. You got Wallander, like that selection. You got Grand, like that selection. You got Schneider, if he's still there, like that selection. Like it's just riches and riches. And I like what you, I agree with what you said. You don't go for Askarov that early. You just don't. And you got goalies in the second and the third and the fourth, like Drew uh, Camiso, Nico Dawes, Dylan Guerin, all those guys can have promise, great promise that you can get in the third and fourth round. That could be equally as good if like at the top of the draft for the goalies, the devils are, this is going to be a year. I assume that the franchise is going to look back on and say, that was the changing turning point. We got a hell of a, a load of players. I hey, agree a hundred percent, hundred percent. You were talking about defensemen at that 20. I just wanted to throw another name in there and see what you think. Ryan O'Rourke. Because you were talking about Grands, too. Yeah. Um, O'Rourke is definitely someone who's risen up the rankings. He's a guy that's definitely not going to go in there and produce offensively. But he's a guy that 
you don't recognize on the ice, and that's a really good thing. He's yeah, so that, good defensively. Okay. He's I I think if you can get him at the late end of the first round, it's a great pick. Some people have him ranked up near 50. Some people have him ranked 35, 45. Like, it's all over the place for him. But if they have a chance and they see that fit, I mean, uh, why yeah, not? Yeah, I – the team who I realistically see getting him is Ottawa at 28. That'd be a great pick. Uh, that'd be that a great, be pick great pick for Ottawa. And then you walk away with potential, potentially Byfield Raymond in overwork in the first round. And that's it's, just uh, not. Ottawa great. is so three and five in this draft. I am so jealous. It's not even funny. Right. I mean, and look, the guys you mentioned, like O'Rourke, the Devils, when they were built on their defense first, obviously they had offensive talent when Eliash came in, Sakura, you had that A-line right. going. But, but yeah, Niedermeyer, yeah, yeah. Langenbrunner was there, Parisi, all those guys. But, you know, Niedermeyer, Stevens on the back end and Rafalski. But there were guys on that defense that, you know, didn't get the headlines, but were rock solid. And if you can get a guy like O'Rourke there. Yeah, Colin Paul White. Martin. Before it Before he became one-eyed White, you know, before he, you know, lost vision in the one eye. He was a solid defenseman. Oh. Yeah, he took a puck. That to happened? And went, yeah, and he never was the same or a stick or whatever it was. But he oh, lost man, him. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was playing literally with one eye for the rest of his career. And, you know, I can't blame him because at young defenseman, he was really good. You had the Brian Rafalskis you found in Finland. Uh, this team can draft and develop, and you get a solid guy like O'Rourke back there. He, and he doesn't make headlines. That's what they need. They need guys that can clear the front of the net. They don't need to worry about all the flash and dash and, and, and all that leadership. kind of stuff. Right, exactly. He's captain and he's 17. That's perfect. Right. Perfect for a young team that has Hughes and Heesher on the team. And you have Boquist and Bratt, and they keep those guys around. Like, there's good foundation. Ty Smith's coming up. Kevin Ball's coming up. Like, they right. have young, good prospects in this system, and they can be good again. For sure. And it actually, now that you say that, maybe Rourke is the smartest pick for them there because their goaltending is set. Your offense is a clear identity. But as, you know, Jim said, there's a real crucial history of incredible defense with this Devils team. Uh, Subban, Severson, Carrick, Mueller, Butcher. I mean, None of those look, guys fit that. And I mean, look, you have good pieces there that you want to keep, but you don't have that one stud in the system, not even Ball, who is that guy who's going to be the leader, who's going to be your Colin White, right? Right. I mean, they, they just don't have it. I mean, Ty Smith is the guy that everybody expects so much from. He's um, so good. And he's he so will good. be good, but he's not that. No, oh, 100% that. And look, Butcher seems to be um, on thin ice with the organization. You know, Severson people are not a fan of anymore, but he had a down year. I give, it, give him a down year. Subban's not a top defenseman anymore in an NHL. Um, so if they can fix that and have that going forward, I mean, they're, they'll be set. Yeah, and right, because... I'm looking at his stats. He had 37 points in 54 games, which is decent. It's not... This is O'Rourke? Yeah, like the great okay. offensive defensemen in the league are putting up close to a point per game. He can... I'm not... Like, I'm not saying he can't produce on offense because he can. He has a good shot. But with what I mentioned before, he's that guy that goes in there and 
He had 79 penalty minutes. He's not afraid to clear the puck from the, in the front of the net. He uses his size to his advantage. He's good in the corners. He knows how to read the play. He makes good outlet, path, outlet passes to its forward through, making through the neutral zone. He can run a power play. He's a good pick. I, now that you bring that's it up, a, I, I like that pick. That's a perfect fit for what the Devils need. You need because that's the one thing they can't do is clear bodies in front of the net. And, you know, that's been a problem for them. And, you know, Kevin Ball's a big body. Let's see what he can do as he develops. Can he come in and do – he's going to oh, get yeah. a look. Isn't he like 6'7 or something? Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's he's a big dude. But, I mean, look, that you know, as we saw the NHL announced today that teams are going to start, you know, slowly getting back into it October 15th. They're allowed players back at the facility and stuff. But we still don't know what these seven teams are going to be allowed to do before the season starts. Are they going to have, like, a tournament or whatever? Because, you know, a lot of these teams have been off for 10 months now not playing. So, we'll see. Devils will be interesting. But, like you said, them and Ottawa, you know, if they do things right, in, in this draft, they'll come away with really good grades. And talking back to seven, if you guys can get holes, because you have Hughes playmaking, like out of the third if you get holes, I'd argue he has the best shot in this draft. And if you can get he him does. at seven, boom. Like Ovechkin on the, in the slot, like just pass it to him. He's rifling at home. Well, my thing was last year when Caulfield was still falling, I was texting my friends and I was like, I was texting somebody that I knew. I was like, why aren't they trading up to go get Caulfield? Like, just go get him because you can have that combination of Hughes and Caulfield, boom, boom, like just in the net and you wouldn't have to worry about it. Obviously, they didn't do it. He goes to Montreal. But, you know, if you can get a guy like Holtz there, that'd be awesome. Like you had that Gomez to McGillney type thing in 2000 and 2001 when they brought him in. Gomez just set McGillney up so many times. And here's something that I know uh, we've talked about as uh, an NHL department at last word is you can get, take, take the forwards early because the, the elite forwards, you're not going to find those later on a defenseman. You can get into the first round, a defenseman you can get in like the third or fourth round and still get elite defensemen. They, they do come late, but you're not going to find the same level of forward talent in a late round that you will in the early round. So I think it's a smart move for them to go with Holtz as their top pick and then look for, you know, if you still want to look for a defenseman at the end of the first round, that's, that's probably the smarter move. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot stress this enough. You've got two guys that are in a tier of their own, Drysdale and Sanderson. Those guys will be gone before even probably 10 because some team will reach on Sanderson. If you're 11 and 12, do not pick a defenseman. If you want a defenseman, next year's draft is the year to do it. Next year's draft has that crop of elite puck-moving defensemen, Luke Hughes, Carson Lambos, just to name a few. If you want, it's the elite forwards at the top of this draft that are absolutely ridiculous. And another guy that would be solid for the Devils is Perfetti. Yeah, I mean, I've, I know they've interviewed him too. I know they've talked to him about about coming in. I know they interviewed, you know, Sanderson and Drysdale, and they've done all their due diligence and all those guys because they have to. But like you said, Drysdale will be off the board. Um, I think he'll be – I think he's going to go to Ottawa or wherever in one of those picks. Um, he'll be gone before the, the seventh pick. I think probably Raymond's gone. I mean, look – if Holtz lands to New Jersey, I know the magic him and Raymond had at the World Juniors was awesome. 
And I, I, either guy for me is fine. But if Holtz is there, take him. You got to take him. Best player available. Um, and then you go from there with 18 and 20 and you figure it out. And if Jarvis is there and works there, you just take care of business. And there's your, those are your picks. And then you find out where you can get your depth uh, no. later on. I'd no, like I, to yeah. ask it. I could be wrong about this, but hasn't there been significant talk about Perfetti potentially winding up in Detroit? And they have, yes. they have two picks well before, uh, yeah. just before the Devils do. If no, Perfetti... Detroit only has one. I thought they had four and five. Or no, was that Detroit Ottawa? has four. Ottawa's three Ottawa's and five. Three and five. Yeah. I, I'm going to take heat for this. Out of this, you know, top seven or eight guys, which is, I'd say, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzel, Perfetti, Raymond, Drysdale, Holtz, and Rossi. Oh, no. I'm the least. I'm the least excited about Perfetti. Um, I would not be happy if Detroit took him. I'd much rather Detroit take Raymond at four than Perfetti. Um, I just don't. I don't have a good feeling about him. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Uh, I, hope to, I hope to God Drysdale's not taken by six, so that Anaheim doesn't shoot themselves in the foot and take Sanderson at six. I hope Anaheim gets Drysdale at six, because that would yeah, be yeah. rough if they took Sanderson that high. Everyone Matt, you, doesn't. Matt, Matt, you had a question or something. You want to say something? No, I was just gonna say Perfetti. Everyone, I can get why everyone who who doesn't think Perfetti is going to develop, it's because of his skating and his ability to play without the puck. But watching film on him and seeing and just talking with guys that I work with who've seen him play, he's a guy that has improved his skating over the summer. And yeah, I, out of all those guys, I'd question that he's the least NHL ready, in my opinion. But he's a guy okay. that if you... Probably but not lowest it. potential. No, absolutely okay. not. Like, he's a guy that, like, I'll pull up his stats. He had, like, over 100 points in the OHL this season. Okay, I'll entertain that. Um, that was just my personal. That, yeah. That's the vibe I'd gotten from him that he just doesn't. Oh, I mean, and it's justifiable. He has for sure. been improving. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't follow that stuff that closely, self admittedly. 111 I, I points in 61 games. Jesus. Yeah. So, I, I, I just got the impression of him from what I've watched that yeah. he, he was just kind of a poacher. Yeah. And some people question his ability hundred percent. I, I can see where you're coming from, but his potential, if he properly develops, uh, he could be a good player. And yeah, I, I did have a question. I just, I was going to pull up some um, defense. I was just going to ask if you, uh, his name's Helge Grons. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's six. Right. And he's massive, and some people like he's risen up the rankings over the past few uh, weeks. And he's playing with Malmo in the Swedish Hockey League. But I don't know. I just I yeah, really, really I would like love to see the Sharks take him. Yeah, either at yeah. thirty-one or thirty-four. Yeah, that's a good move there. Like get him late. Yeah, because I don't. I don't. I think. I think you've got guys like Connor Zary. Maverick Bork, J.J. Paterka, uh, Matt brought up Amirov, Lucas Reichel, Noel Gundler, Jacob Perot. Uh, uh, mm, mm, I can't pronounce his Brad name. Kuznetsov. Yep, exactly. Uh, there, there are a lot of good forwards there that people are going to take in the latter half of that first round. I think there is still William Wallander, 
who's going to go late first. Same with O'Rourke. Um, Brennan Brisson in there too as a center could go. So I think the Sharks are Grands could felt could fall to thirty one, and he could very easily fall to thirty four too. Um, Sharks would be doing well there to get him. The early second round is where you're going to start to see all these defensemen come out with uh, him and Shakir Mukamudulin and Tyler Clevin, Jan Kuznetsov over at UConn, uh, William Villanueva, I mean, Jeremy Poirier, who you know the Habs are going to take at 47 because the friggin' French Canadians. But, you know, so you take yeah. the defenseman in the second round. I agree in- with Brandon. I you come for you look at the 25 and on you're going to see defensemen go off the board there's going to be a team that picks one and it's going to be boom 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 yeah because I yeah you've got that middle tier of really good solid defensemen that could develop into your second or third defenseman the only guys I could see maybe like well for sure the number ones Drysdale definitely has a all-star quality potential and so does Sanderson Sanderson has to work on a bit of his game, but yeah, there's a lot of good options there. And the, the forwards that you were mentioning, the latter half of this draft, I don't, it depends on what your team wants. And, but you can, you have so many riches that you can look at what your team needs and you can select from what you have available. Right. Like uh, Colorado is going to take a forward. Columbus is going to take a forward. Rangers are going to take a forward. Philly is going to take a forward. Washington's going to take a forward. St. Louis could go either way. Anaheim's going to take a forward because they'll have taken Drysdale or Sanderson at six. Ottawa could maybe take a defenseman. Vegas could go either way. Dallas will take a forward. Uh, And so with those defensemen, I mean, I I do think Wallander and O'Rourke are gone by the end of the first round. but I do think it would be a really good idea for the Sharks to maybe take Rands with 31. And that still leaves out, uh, what's his face? Jan Meistrak. Um, yeah. Who, who yeah. could potentially fall to early second. He's, he has, he's a bag of mixed emotions. There's scouts yeah. that love him. There's scouts that hey. are not as high on him. But he's a guy that ever since he came over from the Czech league and he played with the Hamilton Bulldogs, he proved that he can go in the, he's a first round talent. If you can get him in that 26 to anything above 25, if he's still available, you got to hop all over him. He's really good. Yeah. But I mean, guys like Gundler, Jake Perot, Kusnut Denov, you wouldn't take any of those above my check. Well, one of the guys I work with, Josh Bell, he's ranked my sack as high as 13. So okay. if you, my sack, again, it's all in preference. I, yeah. It's so hard to decide because Kuznutinov is a great player. My sack's yeah. a great player. I've it's, seen, it's really hard. I've seen Sam Colangelo thrown up in that early 30s too. Brendan Brisson, Jake Neighbors. Uh, so... But I, 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 you're right. I don't see my shack getting past any of those guys. No, neither do I. I think, I think, like you said, these teams will be smart enough to draft these players at the end of the first round and don't yeah. let them get into the second round. I think, personally, I think there's a real cutoff 
probably at about like 36. So after Anaheim picks in the second round, because then, you know, the latter half of your, you know, who you could say are potentially really, really good prospects are gone. Brisson will be off the board, Grons, Myshak, uh, Mukumadulin. And then you're getting into the Tyler Clevins, Thomas Bordelow's, Tyson Forster's. I think there's a really decided drop off there. Uh, I, I don't know if you'd agree, Matt. I know there are still guys later on that are going to be taken way lower, like an Antonio Stranges or um, yeah. Emile Andre, Carter Savoie. Yeah. Uh, that could be something, but those guys could, you know, even go in the third or f- fourth rounds. I Bordelow's going to be gone. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's there at 50. Bordalo. Bordalo? Yeah. He's really uh, good. Bordalo, I'd be surprised. I, I don't think he gets to Toronto's second round pick. Forster's been rumored to go uh, early, late first, early second. Anaheim really liked him, I think. Mm-hmm. A yeah. guy who's has a great, great shot. But I agree with you when you – Look at the forward. You still, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say necessarily like you said, a sharp drop off. There is a higher. It's not a sharp drop off, but there's a divide. Yes, I guess yeah, you could say that. But I still, if you can get a Bordalo, Strangers is, he was rumored to be like, at the start of the season, he was really high up on people's rankings. But I, ha- I'd, I'd see him going in like. In the nineties, he'll probably be going by like seventy. Yeah, but uh, you got guys like Ty Tulio, um, like you said, mixed bag of emotions on Daniil Gushin as well. Um, Yeah, but you got a lot of good players that I don't know. Just for me, even in the second round and the third round, you can still find diamonds in the rough that could definitely develop into a really solid team. Um, all right, so that does it for episode 11 of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. Jim, thank you again for joining us. We'd love to have you back another time. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, you, you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing just real quick before we get off? I know you've been really busy trying to build your network over, over there with your uh, hockey expertise and just sports in general. So I want to tell us a little bit. Yeah, yeah just before we get out of here, um, obviously writing for Last Word on Hockey has been awesome. Uh, just you know, punching out articles during the playoffs, previews, whatever. Then over my own thing, you know, Mad Radio Network, uh, little take it, we call it the last word on hockey show, bringing guests, talking hockey with Coach Jay, Mark Weiss, and myself, trying to do it from different locations, just trying to build the brand, just getting it out there. And then obviously um, you guys follow me on Instagram at JerseyGym33. Got the nightcap recap. It has its own instagram as well nightcap underscore night underscore cap underscore recap we talk about sports wrestling whatever just trying to drive it home you know just having fun stuff that started during the pandemic trying to keep things you know just talking with friends just talk about sports just let people know you know what's going on just just different outlet because i know a lot of things get lost in the noise a lot of things just are different and you know people just want to hear you know straight and to the point so that's what we're doing just trying to have fun just bring just your guys just talking and that's it. I mean, you just want to have fun when you talk hockey, talk sports and talk life in general. It's all about having fun and not making it too controversial. 
right, yeah. So go definitely go check out Jim's stuff. So Mad Radio Network and the Nightcap Recap. All right, follow him at Jersey Jim Thirty Three. So. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. It's been episode 11 of Throwing Haymakers and be sure to check back next week on Saturday for our next episode.